All right, take your Bibles this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, moving right along through the book of 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, we will get out of chapter 1. We've only been on it for about six weeks, I think, seven weeks. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the King James Bible. And Father, pray that you'd help us now. Pray that you'd open our eyes and maybe hold wondrous things out of thy law. And Father, it is a wonderful thing to have the pure and perfect Word of God, and I pray that you'd help us not only to know we got it, but Lord, to love it, to read it, uh, to study it, and then apply it to our heart. Uh, Lord, and Father, I pray that as you give us the light, that we'd take it. Lord, we pray that you'd guide and direct us. Lord, what we need in our life more than anything else is guidance. I know most of us probably think we need more money, but Father, we sure need guidance. And Lord, we need your guidance and Lord, help us to uh, avoid and ignore the voices and noise of this world. And Father, would you please, would you please come get us out of this old wicked world. Father, we're homesick for that country. And Father, we pray that you come soon. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we left off on verse 16, verse number 16. And we'll read that here and get going here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, How be it for this cause... I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. So Paul is our pattern after we get saved, not before. And we went into detail last time we were together, I believe it was Wednesday night, we went into detail how the pattern of our salvation is after we are saved. Obviously, you and I were not saved like Paul was. We weren't, uh, we weren't going to Damascus, all right? Uh, even if you spiritually applied, it's not going to work. Uh, you and I didn't see a great light. Now, if you're charismatic, you might try to claim that, but we know that's just been eating too much pizza late at night or maybe drinking something or taking something you shouldn't have, amen? But uh, our pattern is Paul after we get saved. And uh, Paul receives mercy here in verse 16, so God can use him as an example of his saving grace. I mean, we stop thinking about the life of the Apostle Paul. What he did contrary to the Lord is pretty wild. I mean, he put people in prison that loved Jesus Christ. He, uh, he spoke against them. He uh, caused people to be murdered. I mean, that's quite a deal. So... Uh, Paul, is, uh, Paul receives mercy so, that, so God can use him as an example of his saving grace. And then God shows Paul mercy because he's going to be a demonstration of what the Christian life is going to be like and what you're going to have to go through. Good to see you all. I just have a seat anywhere. Hey, sis. And uh, it's not going to be easy, is it? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The Christian life is not necessarily going to be easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we'll look at Paul's sufferings just for a minute here. Now, the Christian life is full of sufferings, if you're honest with yourself. It's full of sufferings. Now, look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says here, Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign 
with you. For I think that God has sent forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. Here it goes, verse 10. For we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. The real ministry and the new, real New Testament ministry, you know what they look at you as? Not successful, but they look at you as a fool. They look at you as despised. So you need to keep that in mind when you look at any New Testament ministry. If any New Testament ministry is always welcomed by the community and always liked by everybody and always you know, in pristine shape by all the Christian leaders, it's not the right type of ministry. Paul says we're fools for Christ's sake. So the question is, you are going to be somebody's fool. Wouldn't you rather be a fool for Jesus Christ? Amen. He says, but ye are strong, ye are honorable, but we are despised. Look at 11, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. Now that's literally, that's the Apostle Paul at about, uh, what is it, about, uh, about 45 to 58 AD, and he's hungry. He's writing this thing and he's hungry. I don't suppose too many of us are hungry this morning, and if we are, it's because we chose to be. Not only does he hunger, he says he thirsts. I mean, the guy doesn't even have proper food and water, but yet, see what he's doing? He's ministering. Why? How is he ministering? God gave him that special dispensation of grace. There is no way, like we said Wednesday, that Paul the Apostle could live the life that he lived without a special touch from God and get beat and whipped and uh, go through the jailings and all the persecutions and the trials and troubles and just not just go absolutely crazy. But he says in 1 Timothy 16, this is the pattern. So isn't that good news this morning? <laughs> isn't that exciting? If you're a Christian, you're going to have to follow Paul's pattern. Now, you might not be taken down here and beaten. Praise the Lord for that, right? But someone's going to make fun of you. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. Been there, done there, got the T-shirt. God gave some of them back over time. And you know what you're also probably going to learn? Lose? You're probably going to lose some finances. If you're the person that you ought to be for Jesus Christ on the job... I guarantee you that you'll get passed over at least once for promotion if that's what you're looking to do. Now, it might not always happen, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you're not a threat to the devil. You wonder why some people have such perfect health. Nothing bad. I mean, they never even get a hangnail or nothing. You ever stop and think about that? I've often thought, you know, some people, they're just, they're just always healthy, you know. <laughs> And then there's some people, man, they're always just getting it in the neck and just, I'm not talking about, you know, you eat, you know, a box of Twinkies every night and, you know, you're just unhealthy. I'm not talking, I'm just talking about living life and you just always got bad health. I don't know, you witnessing for Jesus Christ? You kicking up any dust? I've given you an illustration before. You ever tried to win someone to Jesus Christ? You know what you're in essence doing? You're trying to steal the devil's children. I don't know about you, but you've got kids or grandkids. Someone tried to mess with your kids or grandkids. Wouldn't they find out about a new person? <laughs> Wouldn't a new individual rise up within you and try to beat the daylights out of somebody? You start messing around with the devil's kids, I'll tell you what, don't be surprised if you start having a little bit of trouble. Amen, amen. That's something to think about. He says in verse 12, and labor working with our own hands, 1 Corinthians 4.12, being reviled, we bless. Isn't that hard? Jesus Christ, when he's on the cross, he said, when he was reviled, reviled not, uh, reviled not again. You ever been slapped in the face? Boy, that hurts, don't it? <laughs> you 
you know, they slapped Jesus Christ right in the face. A grown man slapped me in the face. It would take Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and about 12 men to keep me from slapping you back. <laughs> you say, how do you know? You see how Paul responded when Paul was before the high priest? That fellow next to the high priest hauls off and smacks Paul. And Paul said, God smite thee, thou whited wall. And the fellow says, don't you know that you're talking to high priest? And Paul's like, he plays dumb. Oh, I wish not that thou's the Lord's high priest. For the Bible says, thou shalt not revile the Lord's high priest. You see what I mean? Paul wasn't like Jesus Christ in that essence. He couldn't hold his temper. Why? Well, Paul was a sinful man just like you and I. But look at it. It says, in labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. You've been persecuted for your faith. Being defamed, verse 13, we entreat. You ever pray someone that uh, going around town lying about you? Man, that's a hard thing. You know what you want to pray? Lord, kill them. <laughs> if someone starts talking, about, don't you want to do that? Just me, right? Y'all are angels, perfect, you know. And I'm telling you, when people, you, people start lying about you, you know, you want to pray against them. But look what Paul does, being defamed, we entreat. How about this? We are made as the filth of the world. And are the off-scarring all things into this day? You know what that is? That's that scum around the bottom of the toilet when you flush. Off-scouring. That's disgusting. That's what the world thinks you are. You come in and uh, you come into work and they start uh, telling their dirty jokes and they start speaking like the toilet and you just look there, you kind of stand there like a calf looking at a new gate. You're not laughing and it bothers you. And you know what they say? You're the problem. You're the issue. I was at, uh, this is not an illustration of my super spirituality, but for whatever reason, I felt led of the Lord to give a, a lady a track. It uh, used to be called Glenn's Market in Rose City there. And I gave that uh, <clears throat> up to the uh, counter there. I said, hey, ma'am, I'd like to give you something about my best friend, Jesus Christ. And she said, no, you're the problem. I'm like, well, good morning. Say, what'd you do? I didn't give her a track. Good grief, the devil jumped right out of her, man. But that'll discourage you from passing out a track, won't you? That's the devil telling you, you're the problem. Say, what'd you want to do? I want to stuff it in her mouth. Here, lady. But I didn't. But I know, just me. You pray for me. That problem. Kick her in the shin while you Look at verse 14. Yeah, amen, right back. Notes. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. I'll tell you this quick story out in the... uh, (laughs) We were on the the street corner, street preaching there in West Branch, and I I don't know who it was, but uh, Chuck was about seven. I think he was seven. He was probably about that tall, just... Cute as a Dickens, a little flat top, you know, uh, cute as a button there. And what I would do is I would hold the sign and I would preach. I had a sign in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. And I gave Chuck the tracks because nobody would ever take a track from me if you're preaching. You know, they're just, he's just, he's got, you know, germs on him and all that. But because I'm a germ. But, anyways, uh, but they would take it from Chuck because he was young, right? He was a kid and he was cute. Use your children wisely. Amen? Right? That's why they always get the youngest to go ask if we can go do something, right? <clears throat> so he goes, here, sir, would you like a track? 
He goes, no, I don't want one. And Chuck looks at me in those big old puppy dog eyes, like, he doesn't want a crack. I said, it's okay, son. I pat him on that little flat top. He can't read. He doesn't know. <laughs> I got so mad. You say, give it here. <laughs> you know, you say, what happened? You know, just a little bit in the flesh. But Paul says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. He's warning you about the sufferings that you're going to face as a Christian. You see what I mean? And if you're not facing any suffering, maybe it could be that you're just not in the battle at all. Now, look, you don't have to go far to look for it. All you got to do is stand. Doesn't he say in Ephesians 6, and having done all to stand? Some people think it's about, I got to fight every time I breathe. I got I to be swinging the sword every chance. I got to get everybody in the gut. I got to have a Bible verse for everybody. All Paul said, all you got to do is stand. So what are you standing for? Because if you stand for the right thing, the fight's coming to you. But look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll show you this. You see what God's doing here, and we're in uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 16. Paul's, or God's using Paul as a demonstration in his life of what a Christian must be willing to go through to serve Jesus Christ. And can I just reiterate the thought that we're trying to pursue here why many Christians never do much for the Lord is because they're not willing to go through much for the Lord. Does that make sense this morning? The Lord is not going to force you. He is not a Calvinist. He's not. You have a free will. You chose to trust in Him. And you believed on Him by grace. He saved you by grace through faith. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? And then once you're saved, you're supposed to, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So if you're saved by grace through faith, you're supposed to continue your walk with Jesus Christ every day by grace. His grace enables you to do it through faith that he'll help you to do it. You see that? But you've got to be willing to go through uh, some things. If you look at 2 Corinthians 1, you're going to have to learn this if you're ever going to minister to people. And I pray everyone in this a church is able to minister to somebody. See, you're not here in the pew just so your head gets fat and you need another hat, right? Now, you might learn something new every time you come to church. That might be a real blessing. But that head of yours isn't just designed to put a hat on it. Amen? It's designed for you to be able to minister what you get here and walk out those doors and minister to people because there's a lot of people that are hurting in this community. Christianity is not just so you get to learn stuff which is a blessing to learn, amen? Was it the one, uh, one silly writer who said, I, 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 don't, I like to learn, I just don't always like to be taught. I like to learn too. And that's why you all are on YouTube. How do I change a doorknob? <laughs> all right, for 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You like learning, but sometimes you don't like who's teaching you. Look at this thing here, verse 5. The Bible says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Ain't that something? What's he saying all this for? Look back to verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know what Paul just said there? 
Paul says, Christian, you've got to go through some things to be able to minister to people. You've got to go through some things. And if you're going through some things right now, it's because God is going to use that thing, not that tribulation, that trial, to bring you comfort, and then you turn around in turn, and you're able to comfort somebody else because you went through some things. That's what, that's what he's saying. And the reason you go through things in life is to be able to minister. Some of you lost a child, lost a wife. Some of you lost a home. Some of you lost a job. And then later on, someone comes up to you, and now you can say, hey, I'm not in your shoes directly, but I've been where you're at before. And let me tell you what, he's faithful and will bring you through it. And you can bring them some comfort because why? You've been through some things. Now, if you haven't ever been through some things, you won't be able to minister to people. And you go on and tell them, said, God comforted me back there, and he'll do the same for you. And you know what? That, that's what the Christian life is all about. Not you having something to say, but being able to comfort someone else because God's put you through some things. Some of you have grown up and not the best of home life. God will use that. God will use that for you to be able to comfort somebody else. Amen. Some of you have been through abusive situations in your household, and now the Lord's going to let that be a ministry that you be able to help somebody else in the same fashion. And uh, that's what life's all about. Some of you go about half crazy trying to serve the Lord, ain't got no money, ain't got nothing at all. You know what you're doing? You're learning what it's like to live by faith. Amen? So the older you get and the more settled you get, You'll see some young and come up trying to make their way in life. You'd be like, you get through it. You get through it. I'll just trust the Lord. And then they'll look at you, and you're a little bit older, and you're like, does it work? You're like, yeah, it works. <laughs> Ain't no fun, but it works. And you'll have to learn to live with sick spouses, sick kids, amen, no money, no cars, you know, most of us right now, when you want to go somewhere, you go, don't you? But there might be a time in your life where the Lord just grounds you, and you ain't got no way to go anywhere. You know what's more humbling than anything else? Now you've got to depend on someone else to get you somewhere. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's humbling, isn't it? The Lord knows how to take us down every now and then to get us to trust Him. All right? Now, God will put you through some stuff so you can help somebody out. You've got to keep that in mind. That's why, that's why God put you through something. Not only, to, not only to prove where you're at in your Christian life, not only to uh, remind you that you're doing the right thing, right? That's the book of 2 Thessalonians. Many times you're going to suffer because you're doing the right thing. Amen. But you're going to go through some things so you can help some people out and bring them some comfort. So Paul never sets a pattern for how people are going to be saved, but Paul is our pattern after we're saved and how we're going to go through the Christian life, and it has to do with suffering. Look at verse 17. Paul is going to end his opening here. He's going to end his opening in verse 17. He says, now unto the king eternal. Now notice right here, God's eternal. He is the king. You see it? Very, very uh, clear statement. Now unto the king eternal, immortal. That just means he can't die. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, he is not mortal like you and I. And one day in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says we're going to put on immortality, 
right? So you and I are mortal. God's immortal. He's the king. He can't die. And it says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, and invisible. And that's something. So what do we learn? Well, Oral Roberts is wrong. He did not see a 90-foot Jesus. He's invisible. It's right in your King James Bible. All that charismatic clowning around stuff is wrong. He is invisible. Who's the king? Well, Jesus Christ is the king, right? Now it says here in verse uh, 17, the only wise God. Now listen, Christian, I want to warn you here. This is where your new Bibles and all your new translations Many of them take out the word wise. You need to know that. I'd make a note. I'd circle that. They take out the word wise. They subtract that word in verse 17. So if you read many or most of the new Bibles that say, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. So let me ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ the only God? Well, no. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He is not the only God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now you remember this. Always leave your Bible alone. Let it say what it's going to say. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's talking about the devil. He is referred to as a God. Now look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 8, or 1 Corinthians chapter 8, rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're showing you that you're best to leave the King James Bible alone and don't change it. Don't change it. Have faith in your King James Bible. It's the truth. And when you mess with it, the Lord will make sure that you know that you're a liar. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5, the Bible says, For though there be that are called gods, you see that, plural, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many, And Lord's many. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is the only true God, right? And Jesus Christ is the only wise God. So now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who gets the honor? Who gets the glory? Jesus Christ does, not you. Amen. All right. Now look at this. Paul ends his opening, and then Paul starts out with a charge in verse 18. Look at this now. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Now look, if there's ever any doubt of the meaning of verse number 16, uh, you get that in verse 18. He says, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by, I'm sorry, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So the pattern that Paul was talking about on long-suffering spoken in verse 16 that we just talked about is now referenced here in verse 18 when he says, a good warfare. A good warfare, Paul says. So Paul's telling Timothy to tell his people, look. He says, remember, Timothy's the pastor of the church at Ephesus here. You've got to keep that in mind. And Paul says, look, Timothy, if your people are going to be blessed by God's grace in verse number 16, then they're going to have to follow Paul's example of suffering. Now, this warfare includes the fact that you're going to have to do some things. You see that? This warfare that he's talking about includes the fact that you're going to have to do some things as a Christian. Uh, Let me give you some of these. First of all, number one, uh, as we went over in verses 3 and 4, 
if you're going to uh, war a good war warfare, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to teach correct doctrine. If you're going to war a good warfare for Jesus Christ, you're going to have to teach correct doctrine. And you pick that up in verses 3 and 4 of that chapter right there. This is warring a good warfare. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy. All right? Now listen, you can be a Christian and you can, you can, you can war a warfare, but you're not going to war a good warfare without correct doctrine. So that tells me there's many preachers out here in our community. They're good men. They love the Lord. Amen? But they do not teach correct doctrine. Did you catch it? You say, well, you're mean. Now, hold on. I just told you they're good men. I just told you they love the Lord. I couldn't get any more sugary than that. I'm not going to tell you they're clowns and squirrels, even though some might be. They're good men. They love the Lord, but they're not going to teach what? Correct doctrine. Why? They're scared of it. They're scared of it. They don't believe it. How about this? Many of them have never been taught it themselves. So if you've never been taught correct, taught correct doctrine, why would you even listen to someone who hasn't even been taught correct doctrine? Now some of you have been sitting under Bible preaching for 10 years or more. And you don't, might not necessarily know what real preaching is, but let me tell you what, when you get around other preaching, you know what it ain't. All right? So these individuals, they might do a lot of good things. They might do a lot of good things for the community. Amen? I'm not discounting that. They might have all their bills paid. What a wonderful thing that would be. Amen? <laughs> have all your bills paid. They might have a new car once uh, every many three or four or five years. They might have all the backing of their Christian friends and celebrities. And that's what I find interesting. A lot of these preachers, you know what they're more interested than anything else? If someone else approves of them. Now, it sure is nice to have some men that are preachers to like you. But let me tell you what. Being your pastor, I, I, I don't care if anybody likes me. I want to make sure that I'm teaching correct doctrine. I know I'm not alone. I won't get up here and tell you that. But these guys, they might have the backing of all their Christian friends. But let me tell you what. When they stand before Jesus Christ... Through the eyes of Scripture alone, they'll have war a warfare, but it won't be a good one. You see that? Why? They didn't teach correct doctrine. They didn't teach the book, what it says, where it says, and in the context they said it. Let me give you a second one. If you're going to war a good warfare as a child of God, you know what you're going to have to remind your converts? That salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace through faith. You've got to remind your converts of that. And you pick that up because this is the charge. You're going to pick that up in verses 5 and 6. Chapter 1. <clears throat> this is Paul's charge. And uh, so you've got to remind converts of that. That means you're going to have to disciple them. Amen? Someone gets saved, you're going to have to try to take some time with them. Wow, there's a tough crowd this morning. <laughs> And then let me give you number three. In verses 9 and 10, you're going to have to warn converts about what? False teachers who are perverting the law. You're going to have to warn your converts about false teachers. 
This is a big one. This does not go on in churches today. Why? Well, it's too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's too abrasive. It's too, I don't know what the word, I'll, it'll come to me later. Yeah, too toxic, uh, caustic, yeah. And that's in verse 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Now, if you want to know one reason alone why churches today, uh, for the most part, aren't able to equip the saints of God with this stuff is because they don't know. They don't know. And you ought to know. You ought to be warned against false teachers. You ought to be warned against the Jehovah Witnesses when they come knocking on your door. You ought to be able to spot the Mormons. They're, look, they're, we're not trying to get you to be a jerk to everybody, but you need to be warned about them. Because if you invite them into your house, they're going to snag you. You need to be warned when someone tries to sit down with you and tries to get you into hyper-dispensationalism. You need to be able to uh, tell when someone uh, thinks that uh, the church has replaced Israel because they haven't. That's, uh, that's a bunch of, bunch of false teaching is what that is. So Paul saying, look, Timothy, you need to warn your converts. That means he's actively trying to lead people to Jesus Christ. He's trying to stir up his church to go win people to Jesus Christ. That when people get saved, not only do they need to be discipled, but from the pulpit, you need to warn converts about false teachers. That's chapters nine and ten, or verses 9 and 10 in uh, chapter 1. Now look, there's many individuals out there today that love to put notches on their soul winning belt but they never disciple their converts about false teachers. And unfortunately, preachers by the dozen in Baptist pulpits will get up and preach about grace and mercy and love, which are appropriate in their places. That's good stuff, isn't it? But they don't have the tenacity or the wherewithal to warn their converts about false teachers because they think it's divisive. Let me tell you what, whether it's divisive or not, we'll cover it. And Lord willing, after 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, uh, we'll go through Bible cults. We'll go one at a time during Sunday school. Why? You need to know. You need to know. You need to be warned. Not so you have a big head, so you need to be careful about that stuff. Paul said you need to be simple concerning that which is evil. But yet you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a warring rind, seeking whom he may devour. And if you tend to be a little bit more intellectual... You know where you'll lean? You'll lean towards Calvinism. And if you tend to be more emotional, you know where you'll lean towards? The Charismatics. Do you even know how you run up here? You say, how do you run? I run more emotional. What do I got to watch? The touchy-feely stuff. You say, you? Yeah, me. I got guts enough to say it. You say, you're not intellectual? Give me a break, man. (laughs) That is kind of funny. Okay, y'all are asleep. That's right. Now, look, this stuff isn't divisive, but it's how you war a good warfare. If you're going to fight at all, you might as well fight right. Amen? And aren't we in a fight? Aren't we in a war? Don't you want to fight right? Amen. I want to fight right. I want to finish right. I know this. Everyone starts right if you're saved. And I want to fight right. And I want to finish right. And that ought to be your motto. If I'm going to fight right, if I'm going to fight at all, 
I want to fight. Didn't Paul say to Timothy in first was it first Timothy six? Fight the good fight. You know what that tells me? There's a bunch of Christians out there probably fighting a fight that's not a good one. You say, what would a bad fight be? Oh, when you fight with the brethren, and you fight with your spouse, <laughs> and you fight with your kids. That's probably not the right fight. But you ought to fight what? The world, your flesh. Get up every morning and fight your flesh. It tells you, I want, I want. Say, shut up, you're dead. He says, if I'm dead, why are you talking to me? <laughs> and you ought to fight the devil. That's a good fight. That's a good fight. All right, <clears throat> so you want to fight the good fight. All right, something else. Let me give you this number four in verses 12 to 15. Four in verses 12 to 15. All right, if you're going to fight a good warfare, if you're going to war a good warfare then you know what you're going to have to do? You're not only going to have to remind your converts that salvation is by grace through faith, but you're going to have to remind your converts that salvation is undeserved. You see that? Now, if you're not careful, you go, that's, that's stupid. Is it really? There's something about Christians, they have an entitlement philosophy about them. And you get on the world for it, don't you? You get on this gen- the, the current generation, you say this, oh, this generation thinks something's owed to them. Well, that's how Christians act. Christians act the same way. And if you're not careful, you'll, uh, you'll listen to your flesh and you'll start giving your flesh what it wants. And if a preacher isn't up there constantly reminding you what you really are, you'll think that somehow uh, God really got something when he got you. No, you got something when you got saved. God got a nothing and you got everything. You see that? Why? Salvation is undeserved. You find that in 12 to 15. Paul tells you how he was a blasphemer. Paul tells you how he was uh, 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 injurious. But that was you before you got saved. And you've got to understand, you've got to realize that, and you've got to be reminded that you don't deserve what God gave you if you're saved. Amen. And that's, a, that's, that's negative thinking. And Paul says to Timothy, you have to remind your converts that salvation is not only by grace through faith, not these perversions of the law and by these false teachers, but salvation is undeserved. You don't deserve it. As the old preacher says, you ought to be in hell with gasoline britches on. And that's a fact. Now look at this one. Uh, Number five, if you're going to war a good warfare, uh, you're going to have to learn that after a man gets saved, you're called to long-suffering and patience. Long-suffering and patience through suffering. That's verse 16. You're called to long-suffering. That's to suffer long. You're called to be patient about it. And that's because you're going to have to suffer. Now, we've gone a long way on this, so we won't... uh, We won't stick too much on this here. And just like the old preacher said, you're going to have to learn that although you and I may be going to a wedding one day, it ain't no picnic along the way. That's Bob Jones Sr. He said, now friends, in the way to God, we all know that we're going to a wedding. He said, but it ain't no picnic along the way. (laughs) It isn't. And uh, that's what you're going to have to learn. And can I say this? Uh, I'm sure you've identified it already, but that's what the problem is with a lot of Christianity. They think every day should be rosy and filled with financial success. Isn't that what the world teaches you? Be the best that you can be. What's in it for me? 
Today's your best day ever. Living your best life now. Well, what if it's the worst day you ever have in your life? Haven't you had a few of those? You ever had the death of a loved one? Wasn't the best day of your life? Are you on crack or what? Well, a lot of Christians uh, think every day should be rosy and filled with financial success. And of course, I say financial success because most of Christians' gods are money. Amen? So you think that every day the Lord should just lay it on me. All right, good morning, Lord. Just lay it on me. I'm ready for you to bless me. And then you go and you pick up the, the average uh, a Christian bookstore puke or whatever, and it says, you know, on every book cover, the thoughts I have towards thee are ones of peace. And That's to Israel. <laughs> and you want financial blessing, and you want the Lord to bless you and lay it on you, but that's not how it is. That's not reality. That's not the world that I live in. <laughs> and, I, you know, Christian, oh, Lord, please give us a good day. You've prayed that before. Dear Lord, give me a good day. And the Lord's up there, give me a break. <laughs> Amen. Oh, Lord, could we please have a good day? And then what does the Lord do? Every now and then he lets the bottom drop out to prove you, and we fall apart. And your health fails, and you want to quit. Amen. Amen. And amen. And then your bills don't get paid on time, and you want to quit, or it's the end of the world. Uh, that's how Christians are. Christians are babies for the most part. Somebody say amen or oh me or goodbye or one of them. <laughs> a lot of Christians are walking around in diapers expecting the Lord to bless them, but yet they're not laying up any treasure up there. But if you're going to war a good warfare, you're going to have to realize that after your salvation, you're called to long-suffering and patience through the sufferings. And, the, of course, the Apostle Paul is our pattern. We've got five minutes here. Uh, all right, give you number six here. To war a good warfare, you're going to have to learn uh, in verse 17, in verse 17, that the glory and the honor of this warfare does not belong to you. All right, verse 17, glory, the glory and honor of this warfare does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 48. I want to show you this passage here. Not only do you need to be reminded that salvation is undeserved, but when God chooses to use you for anything at all, all the honor and glory that might come through you as being used of a vessel belongs to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's given to your leader. I'll say it again, all that glory is given to your leader. It's not given to you. God will not share his glory with anyone else. Isaiah 48, we'll pick it up in verse 9. And if you stop and think about the similarities here, Lucifer, back before Genesis, uh, between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, was one of the top individuals that God used. He was the light bearer, Lucifer, Latin for lux fair, that's light bearer. And when people saw God the Father, they saw Lucifer instead, and he was used, and he was in the spotlight, and he was the one. He was the one that everyone looked at. And because of that, he thought the honor and the glory should go to him. So that's why you got to be careful. Look at this, 48, 48 verse 9. 
He says, For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. And anything that God allows you to do, all the honor and glory must go to your leader, which is Jesus Christ. That's an important thing for you and I to get a hold of. And you know what Paul says? He says, Timothy, you've got to preach this stuff. You've got to war a good warfare by teaching correct doctrine. You've got to war a good warfare by reminding your converts that salvation is by grace through faith. You've got to war a good warfare by warning your converts about false teachers because they're going to get carried away if you don't. You've got to war a good warfare by reminding them that salvation is undeserved and you don't have anything coming to you. You've got to war a good warfare because you're called to long-suffering and patience through suffering and Paul's our pattern. And you've got to remember, after it's all said and done, if you're going to war a good warfare and God uses you, all the glory and honor of this whole thing therefore belongs to Jesus Christ. And I think we'll stop right there.